Well, let's jump into week three of our series. How many are you enjoying the series called Clean Slate? You liking this? Good stuff? Yeah, thanks. Appreciate that. Uh, all 12 of you? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> A lot of you raise your hand. Uh, so here, here's where we're at. Welcome to week three of our series called Clean Slate. Uh, this is what we're doing. We're exploring this idea of what it takes to allow God to wipe clean the past, whether it's just last year or the last five years, the last 20 years, all the things that kind of makes life a mess. You know, we're, we're exploring that, that thing that, you know, where it just kind of gets all jumbled up and kind of messed up, convoluted, all that kind of stuff. We're exploring how to get this clean slate and deal with our past to Ask God and look to God to give us a fresh start at the beginning of this year. Lord, what's that look like? And not only that, and next week, by the way, we're going to talk about how to maintain it in a big way. And, it, and it's, I, I think next week is going to really kind of pull all the pieces together, what we're talking about in this series called Clean Slate. Our key text is found in Psalm 51. We're just studying Psalm 51. We're, we're in Psalm 51 for four weeks in a row. But there's a key text that's found in there, verse 7 King David says, purify, my, purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. And he's, he's really throwing out this idea that there's this process of being clean before you that, God, I desperately want to be a part of, and that's what we're exploring together. We're trying to figure out what that looks like. So there's a little bit of context that I think is important to understand about Psalm 51. And if you haven't read the whole psalm, I encourage you to go read the whole psalm. It's only 18 verses, I think. And, and just read through that. And, but what it is is this. It's King David, and he's making a cry of his heart to God about the mess that his life is in. He's, he's laying it all out before the Lord. He said, God, this is what I've done. This is what I'm part of. And, and the context of his story was that he actually was in an affair, and he even then took it further and tried to cover it up by having the woman's husband killed in battle. And, and it just it was ugly from day one, and it just wasn't good. And actually, it caused a lot of consequences even later on in his life, but this is where this Psalm 51 comes alive. And so King David had created a mess, I mean, a lot like some of us. We're just really good at creating mess. I know for me, a lot of times, it doesn't take me a lot of effort to create a mess. I can just get up in the morning, I create a mess. It just happens because I say something or I'll do something or, or think something. I mean, it doesn't take a whole lot for me to get the mess thing going. And so King David created this mess, and he had some choices or made some choices that he wasn't proud of. And I think a lot of us have those, don't we? Where we've made choices that we're like, I'm not proud of that choice. And, and that's where David was. He was in the midst of that. And, and he had done things that made him feel dirty and ashamed. That, that, that it actually was something that was making a mess and a, and a dirtiness of his very soul and a very spirit of who he was. And even shame and guilt was part of where he was at. And so that's what David was experiencing. He had allowed himself to go further than he had ever planned and to end up where he never planned to be. And, and then here's one too, is that he had hurt some people in the process. It wasn't just him. And a lot of times we, we read through a story like this where we thought, start to think about a clean slate and we realize that the mess of our lives isn't just a mess of our lives, it's the mess of those that are connected to my life as well. That all of a sudden it's a bigger picture. And, and so he had hurt some people, I mean, to the point where there was guys that were dead because of him. There were, there were families that were broken and hurting because of him. There were loved ones that missed their uncle and their dad because of him. I mean, it was an ugly, ugly situation. 
And so all of that points to this idea that it was time for a clean slate. And that's Psalm 51. And so check out what David said. Psalm 51, verse 1. It said, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me, O God. And he points it directly at God. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgression. Blot out my transgression. And before I go on and read the rest of it, this is an important verse in the whole thing. That's why every week I've read the same verse, and here's why. Because faith or trust in God is the starting point to a clean slate. Faith that somehow, oh God, oh God, that you would move in my life and you would make something happen. And it's faith in what? It's faith in his character and his ability. Have mercy on me according to your unfailing your unfailing love and your great compassion. In other words, God, I am calling upon the very nature and the character of who you are to somehow, some way, make some sense of the mess that I'm in. And that's where he was at. And it goes on. It says, wash away all my iniquity. Notice, notice how many times he says my and how he describes his sinfulness here. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions my, and my sin is always before me. Isn't that kind of how it is when we make a mess? You just can't get away from it. You know, it just, it just constantly is pounding on the door of your heart. You'd like to forget it, but you can't forget it. You'd like to get away from it, but you can't get away from it. You'd like to ignore it, but you can't ignore it. It's just, it's always there, and it's begging for something to be done about it. And that's where he was. He says, it's always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done was evil in your sight. And you're thinking, wait a minute, didn't he just have an affair and have a man killed? But see, he realizes that many times the wrong that's in our hearts is bigger than just this little world that we're part of. It's this relationship that we're supposed to have with God, and everything else flows out of that. And he goes on. So against you and you only have I sinned, done what is evil in your sight, so you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth. In other words, this isn't something that just happened. It was already part of who I was. It isn't just something that I just kind of fell into. It's just kind of, this is my bent. And so, God, this is a big deal. He goes, sinful, I was sinful from birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And so this whole idea is wrapped up. So we started this series by answering this question. What makes a clean slate possible? And we identified four things, and here they are. They're not in your notes, but if, if you weren't here, I just want to bring us all up to speed. It's a realization that something is wrong. That's the first thing. Somehow, some way, there's a pounding on my heart. There's a pounding on the door of my life that says, you know what? This isn't working. This isn't going where I think it should go. I'm not who I'm should, I don't think I'm supposed to be. That somehow there's something messed up, and there's a realization that something is wrong. And, and, and all of a sudden, and by the way, David, it happened because the prophet uh, Nathan came to him and actually called him out on it, and, and it was this big deal. And sometimes God will graciously do that. And by the way, that's grace. When grace comes, many times it comes to expose just as much as it comes to love. And so this idea that something was wrong, here's another thing that we identified is makes clean states possible, is a willingness to change. That somehow... I've got to be willing to, for it to be different. Not just enough to say, okay, it's messed up. But somehow I've got to come to that point, maybe today you're here because that's part of your heart. You're here because, you know what, life isn't quite what I think it should be. And somehow, some way, I'm willing to change, and that's why I'm here. And that's a great reason to be here today. Maybe that's you. 
a willingness to change. Another thing we identified was a recognition of the God factor. I already mentioned that, that it's, oh, God, God has to do this. I can't do it myself. There has to be God. Otherwise, it's just self, self-help and me trying to make it happen in my own power. So, oh, God, it's a God factor. And the last one is that I need to embrace a God-given vision of something better. Somehow, some way today, maybe by God's Spirit, by Him speaking to your heart, that somehow it comes alive and you see it being better. That there's a vision. It doesn't have to be like this always. Somehow, some way, there can be joy, there can be satisfaction, there can be fulfillment, there can be all the good things that God planned for my life. It can happen. And God stirs that in me. I need that if I'm going to find a clean slate. So that's what we talked about. And then last week we talked about what makes us clean. And, and we understood that we need something stronger than the stain. If it's a mess, we've got to have something that can deal with the mess, not just smeared around, so to speak. And so we talked about we're made clean by Jesus. That's, that's the ultimate answer. The ultimate answer is Jesus stepping into humanity and paying the price of your sin, my sin, paying for it all. I didn't deserve it. Matter of fact, it said that he loved me when I didn't love him. And he came and he did all these things because he passionately wants a relationship with us. And him, by the work of the cross, gives us an opportunity for cleansing because of that. And then the second part of that was we were cleansed by the word. And so we challenged everybody to use soap, scripture, observation, application, and prayer. That we would make this devotional life part of who we are, that that would be part of it. And so that kind of brings us up to speed. So today, I want to talk about a clean slate happening when we make, I'm going to say it, confession a normal part of our spiritual journey. Confession. Like, confession? Seriously? And here's the deal. Confession in Scripture is always directly connected to cleansing. There's this connection, this thing that happens when there's confession There's always cleansing somewhere nearby. Matter of fact, if you look in Matthew, I think it's uh, chapter 3 with John the Baptist, they said that they came and they confessed their sins and were baptized. So symbolically, there was the actual confession of sin and then the symbolic gesture of cleansing in baptism. They were connected. It's just always part of the picture. So that's what we're going to talk about today. So let's just ask the question, what is confession? You know, I mean, I really try to find a good definition for what this means. And more often than not, confession gets a bad rap, doesn't it? I mean, most of you, when I said today, hey, we're going to talk about confession, you didn't go, yes, I've been waiting for this. I can't believe we're going to talk about confession. You know, that's not part of what it is. That's not our normal response. That's not normally how we view that because it gets a bad rap and it's viewed as a negative, not a positive And we never in our society or in our culture want to plead guilty. Just not, you don't plead guilty. (laughs) Innocent, innocent, innocent. We don't want to plead guilty. And so there's something in us and part of who we are as a people that just goes against the grain of this idea of confession. We avoid confession like a plague because we think it's just airing out our dirty laundry. And many of us even think confession is just some kind of religious activity, and we don't want to be a part of religious activity. But the reality is it's something much more. It's, it's, it's something much more. So here's the definition. I think there's a fill in the blank for you. It's confession acknowledges God's lordship. There is an acknowledgement of the lordship or God being over everything 
that comes as a result of confession. And so that's huge. And then the second part of it, and it agrees with his judgment. In other words, how you define it, God, is how it's defined. How you make the verdict, and matter, matter of fact, that's part of our, our verse, verse 4. It says, so you are right in, ver- in the, your verdict and justified when you judge. And so confession is that alignment to acknowledging God's lordship and agreeing with his judgment. So there's several things that confession is not. It's, it's not something that can be forced, right? How many of you ever tried to force confession on somebody? How'd that work for you? Doesn't work too well, does it? You know, my kids, and, and most of them are here today, my kids were angels growing up, and every once in a while, they would cross the line, and they would do something, and then they would try to hide it. You know, God forbid, you know, they would do it. And then I would come to them, and I'd say, hey, uh, did you do this? No, no. So then we would have a three-week-long conversation about how, yes, you did, I know you did, we have camera video evidence that you were part of this thing, <laughs> right? And, and we would force the issue. And as soon as they finally kind of grudgingly come to the point, yes, I did it, all of a sudden, the peace and the mercy and the grace that we were hoping to see happen happened. Wrong. <laughs> All that happened was they just confessed because I forced them to do it. It wasn't really confession at all. And so forced confession never works, and so you can't force it. It isn't part of the gig. Here's another thing it's not. It's not something I, ju- I do just to feel better it, it, because it's more than just being caught and doing something to make my guilt not feel so heavy. It's not about a feeling. You know, I have to get this off my chest. I came across a story, a a man returned to his car in a parking lot, and he found this huge dent in it, and then he noticed that there was a note on the windshield wiper. He's like, huh. So he picked it up, and it it said this on the note, I just smashed into your car. The people who witnessed the collision are watching me closely. They think that I'm writing my name down and my address and phone number. I am not. (laughs) They are wrong. Have a great day. (laughs) That's not what we're looking for here with confession, all right? You know? So it's it's more than just damage control. Uh, Here's another thing. Confession is not an accounting procedure. It's not some kind of plus and minus thing. You know, some of us mistakenly view sin and confession as a plus minus thing that sin is bad points and confession is somehow good points and they erase each other you know that's just not how it works it it, it, we might think that and maybe we were even taught that as children or maybe that's kind of the perception that we grew up with but the reality is that's not what it is it's not that and so you know that uh, by the way the telling of my sin does not make it go away it's not a plea bargain. It's more than exchange of information. There's two kinds of confession that you find in Scripture. Here's, here's the first one. Confession of faith. That's the first one you find in Scripture. It's all throughout the Scripture. Confession of faith. It's, and what that means is simply this. It's a heartfelt, passionate statement of allegiance where I'm, I'm saying I'm committed to this. I'm in. I'm all in. I'm, I, I, I'm making a declaration. It's the same idea that Braveheart, I watched that movie a couple weeks ago, and I love the ending part when they're ripping him up through the gut, and he, can't, he grabs his breath, and he goes, 
Freedom! I mean, that's a great big... That's a confession right there, all right? That's an allegiance. I'm committed to this thing. It's, it's, I, I'm a loyal follower. I agree with the thoughts and the direction and the purpose of the one I'm confessing, even to the point of death, which is, by the way, very biblical. And so that's part of this confession. I'm acknowledging the truth of Jesus. 1 Timothy 6.12, Paul having a conversation with Timothy, and he calls it a good confession. This is a good confession. It's a confession of faith. And Matthew chapter 10, Jesus talked about this. And by the way, it's all over in Scripture. That Matthew 10, it says, For those who declare publicly, and some translations actually say the word confess, those who declare publicly that they belong to me, I will do the same before my Father in heaven. In other words, you confess me, I'll confess you. But if anyone rejects me publicly, I will reject him before my Father in heaven. This whole idea of confessing faith. Very important. By the way, just, just a side note. I didn't write this down in my notes, but as I was studying, I just, it just came back. That one of the aspects of our worship experience is actually a confession of faith. That praise and thankfulness and even giving, there's actually an element of confession. I'm confessing that it all belongs to God. I'm confessing that, Lord, you're worthy above everybody else. And so there's this idea that that's part of it as well. So, but the one I want to talk about today is the one that David was guilty of. And that was a confession of a crime. That their crime has been, has been committed. See, most of the confession that takes place in the Bible talks about the confession of sin before God. Most of it. When you look up and you do studies on confession in the Bible, you'll find it related to this, oh Lord, I'm guilty before you. Oh Lord, there's a crime going on, that there's something criminal. And, and Now, by the way, there are some verses that give value to confessing sin to one another. There is a place for that, there, and it's very valuable. There's, there's times that I need to be accountable, and I'm sharing with somebody, and today we're not going to talk about that, so just relax. All right, that's not the one we're going to. Now, if God tells you that you need to be doing that, for, by all means, be obedient to what the Spirit tells you in that area. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a relationship with God and the sin before Him. And so, in, in our te- you know, and by the way, sin is defined in all kinds of ways, but the easiest definition of sin that we can kind of throw out there is this. It's missing the mark. It's the idea that there's, you know, like an archer, and you shoot, and you don't hit the bullseye. You miss the mark. And and it's the missing the mark of God's holiness or his standard. And so it kind of works something like this. So God is 10,000 feet up here, and we're trying to do life 10 feet or below. You know, some of us might be able to jump up and do 10 foot. And God said, see, you're not making the mark. And we fall short, it says in Scripture, of his holiness, his glory. And because of that, that's sin. Now, the question is, then you think about, okay, if God's way up here, how much sin or wrong, or rebellion do I have to have to miss the mark? It's a good question. It doesn't take a whole lot. Let's just say it this way. Let's just say God says, um, don't take a bite of that apple. I'm going to take a bite of that apple. Oh, too much. <laughs> it doesn't take a whole lot because the standard isn't about, well, I was 98%. That's missing the mark. And so that's what he's talking about. So now in David's story here, 51, Psalm 51, in our text, King David uses three different 
words, Hebrew words, to describe sin. And I want to just kind of highlight those real quickly because I think it will help us understand what he was actually confessing. First one was this, and it's not in your notes, but maybe you want to write it down. It's called Pesha, P-E-S-H-A, Hebrew word, and it means a willful defiance before God. A willful defiance. In other words, what it means is that, and it has to do with transgression. That's why he used the word transgression. David was acknowledging that his sin was a willful decision to step across the line. God said, don't cross that line. And he willfully decided to do that which God told him not to do. He knew not to do that. He knew not to be a part of it. There was something in him that says, don't go there. Don't be a part of that. But he willfully chose to be a part of that. And he made a choice or a transgression or a trespass. Or as it's defined, he crossed over and he went beyond the boundary. And it was a willful choice. Here's here's the other word. It's hata. And I don't know if I'm pronouncing these right. I'm not a... Hebrew or Greek scholar, but it's H-A-T-T-A. And it's what this one is, it's a crime against one that's in authority. It's a crime of one that's in authority, and, and this one is kind of the idea of all the words that it's sin or sinful, I was a sinner, you know, that's what he's talking about, that there was this rebellion about who I was. You, you said do this, and I said no, I don't want to. And so it was a rebellion against God's authority that he was confessing. God said, this is what I want you to do. And he said, no, I don't want to do that. The other one was, I crossed the boundary. And so that he recognized, David understood and was acknowledged that he was a man of authority, but God was a man of, or God of ultimate authority. And his sin was a crime against God's authority in his life. It was rebellion. Here's the third word. It's Avon, A-V-O-N. By the way, I'm not going to say anything about the correlation between Avon and Avon. All right? Think about that. It's actually a sin word in the Old Testament. Anyway. (laughs) I just thought it was funny. And here's here's what it meant, is that David was acknowledging that he had perverted God's intended purpose for his life. Because the word Avon which, by the way, was translated in our text, evil. And there's other times it's translated iniquity, that that word is the word avon, A-V-O-N, and it is an act of perversity against God. And so what that means is he's saying, you have perverted my intended purpose for your life. That's not what I planned for you. That's not what I designed you for. That's not what you're supposed to be part of. And so when you went there, you were criminal. And so David was confessing all these things. So really what we're talking about is confession of crime. But I don't want to spend a lot of time about that. I want to talk about the good, all right? And here's, what, here's the statement that most of us heard is a confession is good for the soul, right? How many, have we all heard that? Confession is good for the soul. Well, how is it good for my soul? I mean, why is it good? What, what's the point? When, when I confess something good, when I confess something good happens, really? And the answer is, yeah, really. Something happens that's good. It's more than just a feeling or feeling better. It adds value and purpose to my spiritual journey. So let's look at, I think there's five of them. Let's look at five of them real quick. First one is this. Confession is good for my soul because confession brings my sin into the open. It brings it into the open. There's no more secrets. There's no more hiding. You know, it's amazing how well or how 
good or, oh, that's not even really the right word. It's amazing how we think we can hide things from God. It's amazing that we can think that somehow God doesn't know anything. But see, when we confess, all of a sudden we're bringing out in the open something that God already knows anyway. And see, here's a, here's a characteristic that is connected to this idea that confession brings it in the open, but sin actually thrives and survives in the darkness of denial and rationalization and justification and excuses and all these different words that we use to say, that's why it's okay for me. <laughs> that somehow it lives and it survives there, but confession brings it out in the open. It just can't live there. That somehow that has to be taken care of and, it's an interesting thought to think that God knows everything about me, that God somehow knows every secret. He, he knows everything that's happened. He knows every thought right now that you're thinking. He knows everything you've done when you thought nobody else knew, when you were just in that lonely place by yourself. God was there, and he knew all that. And confession brings it in the open before him. And so it becomes really important because the absence of confession is actually concealment or a secret life without God, even though he knows all about it. And it only hurts me. It only hurts me. So here's the scriptures. Check this out. Psalm 32. Then I confessed my sins to you. David speaking. I did not conceal my wrongdoings. I didn't hide them. I decided to confess them to you, and you forgave my, all my sins. And I said, I'm bringing them out in the open. Everybody else already knows about it, and I can't do this anymore. I'm bringing them out in the open. Here's another verse, Proverbs 28. You will never succeed in life if you tried to hide your sins. Confess them, give them up, and then God will show mercy for, to you. Brings, brings my sin in open. Here's the second one. Is that confession helps me to be honest with who I am. In other words, just like bringing sin into the open has no more secrets, being honest with who I am means that there's no more lies. I'm not lying anymore about who I am. I, I, I'm actually going to admit who I am. I'm going to admit that I was sinful from birth. I'm not going to try to cover it over. I'm, I'm going to admit this. I'm, I'm, I'm going to admit that I really not, I'm not perfect. I know that. Matter of fact, I'm not going to use that even as an excuse. I'm just going to come clean. No more lies. No, 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 more, no more lies about the mistakes that I've done that have dirtied and made a mess of who I am. No more lies. I'm honest. I'm confessing and I'm being honest before you. I'm going to admit my rebellion. It, it's, I, I, you told me not to and I did it anyway. I admit it. I admit it. You told me don't cross that line. I cross the line. I admit it. And I'm going to be honest about it. No more lies. No more lies. See, admitting is... Is doing all those things, but here's the big one, I think. When I get honest with myself, I'm admitting this huge statement that I think most of us need to say. I need help. I need help. Oh, God, have mercy on me. I need help. I've made a mess of this. I've, I've put a situation together that is so convoluted. It's not even funny. I need help. I need help. And see, confession helps me be honest about who I am. You see, some of us, we never get to the place that God wants us with the clean slate because we can't be honest with who we are. We can't seem to come clean. 
And confession means that I own the fact that it was my sin. It wasn't just the result of my parents or bad genes or my environment. I grew up like that. I'm, it's not that. It's me. That's why David said again and again, it's my sin. I have. He was owning it. He was being honest with where he was at. He wasn't trying to run away from it. Wasn't trying to excuse it or explain it away. He was owning the fact that he had made a choice. Because at the heart of confession is an appropriate responsibility for what I have done. I'm honest. Here's the third one. Confession positions me for forgiveness. Confession doesn't make forgiveness. It positions me. Confession just gets me in the place where I can actually be forgiven. It's, it, it positions me in that state of brokenness before God that says, Oh God, I'm not fighting against you anymore. Oh God, I'm not willfully defying you anymore. Oh God, I'm not crossing over the boundaries. I'm not, I'm not being perverted in your attentions for my life. I'm not doing all that. I'm positioning myself for forgiveness. And here's the beauty of it. There's no more guilt or shame now. A lot of us, that's our problem. Our problem is the guilt is just like a heavy weight that just slams us down into the ground constantly. The shame of the secret, the shame of the lies, the shame of what we do, and God knows about it, and somehow we don't deal with it, and all these things, things going on. It's like, ah! But confession positions me for forgiveness, and the slate is able to be made clean. Here's a text, 1 John. It says, if we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves. And not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to, what's it say? Forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. The word wickedness is connected to that perversity definition. I'm going to fulfill your intention. Here's another one. Confession removes the roadblocks to my healing. Here's a thought. There's things that God wants to heal in your life right now that only are going to ever happen because you finally confess that there's things in your life that are standing in the way of that healing. Interesting thought. Here's a confession. I'm selfish. <laughs> right? Part of that's true, actually. I am selfish. But when I confess that and I bring that before God, you know what happens? All of a sudden, there's an openness to heal that, and I can have senses of satisfaction, fulfillment that I never would have had if I would have held on to my selfishness. Does that make sense? And so this idea that confession removes the roadblocks of my healing, that confession is not something that God needs. God isn't up there, give me confession, give me confession, give me confession. It's actually something I need so I can get rid of stuff in my life that are standing in the way of my healing. See, some of us, we've got some stuff in our life that needs to be healed, but we won't come clean before God, and it just remains. Here's a scripture. Psalm 66, it says, If I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened, or the Lord would not have healed me. The Lord would not have made me whole or cleansed me. Here's the last one. Confession implies our intentions for the future. Here's the deal. 
when I confess, there has to be or there is this idea that within the confession is this mixing of a promise or resolve or a, or a, a desire to be different. It's we resolve with God's help to change. And so the confession implies a real commitment to a future change. And there's this story in, in Luke 19 of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was him. You know, he, you guys know that one? Zacchaeus. And he, he was a tax collector and a sinner. He was a known, notorious sinner. That's how Scripture defines him. Jesus came by, seen him in a tree, and I love this story. He says, Zacchaeus, come down from there. I'm going to your house today. And he goes there, and we don't get the whole story, but the whole story goes something like this, I'm sure. Jesus explains to him the love and the grace that he has for him as a sinner, and he responds with faith. And then it comes to this verse, in verse 8 of the story. It says, Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor Lord, Lord, <clears throat> poor Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, which he had, I will give them back four times as much. So the level of our promise or our intention in the confession is actually a statement of the quality of our confession. Years ago, um, and the worship team can come on up, worship, uh, um, I... When I was 20, I gave my life to the Lord. When I was 20, I, I said, I made that confession of faith, right? My allegiance, I gave to him. Out of alcoholism, drug abuse, daily marijuana, pot smoking, that's who I was, 20 years old. I'd corrupted all these different people. Some of you heard me tell some of this story before, but it, I felt like it fit right here. And I remember thinking right away, man, I got to go back and I got to tell my brother who I'd corrupted in this lifestyle. So I went back one day, and it was during pheasant season, and so we went out, and there was three of us. It was a, a buddy of mine. It was also a buddy of his, and I'm sitting in the middle of the truck, and he's sitting on the passenger side, and all day long they're passing back and forth a, a pipe with marijuana in it. I'm going, no, no, I don't want to do that. And, and it was kind of an awkward time, obviously. You know, I mean, just a weird time. But I was there to tell my brother, about the life change that I had had and how much he needs the same thing. Two-thirds through the day, they pi they'd pass it by, and every time they'd pass it by, hey, you want, one, you want a hit? You want a hit? You want a hit? No, 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 I don't want that. That's not why I'm here. Finally, I gave in, and, and I smoked the pipe, and I, I was mad. I mean, instantly I was angry. Instantly, because I'm thinking, Lord, that's not my confession of faith. That's not my allegiance to you. That's not what I committed to you to do. That's not who I, I want to be. And I was just mad. And I remember going back just mad. I was just mad. I don't ever want to do that again. I don't ever want to do that again. I can't believe I did that. Three months later, I went back, and almost to a T, the same exact story happened. Same guy driving, me in the middle, brother, same pipe going back and forth, and I did it again. This time, I was furious. I mean, I was furious. I was furious because somehow I'd let my confession slip away. My promise wasn't that good. And I realized at that point, you know what I'd done? I didn't include God. It was just my confession. 
It was my commitment to something greater. And see, here's, I think, the answer for many of us today. Oh, God, with your help, I will change. That was the last time I ever smoked dope. <laughs> last time I ever was ever part of that. My brother ended up giving his life to the Lord a few months later. He's now serving as a youth and college director in a church down in Oklahoma. Thank God. And I look back at that, but I, there was something happened that confession had to have this intention with God's help. God, you're going to help me. So, here's the close. We all want a clean slate. I think that's true. But without confession, it's hard to get there. I have to make it a part of that. And maybe today is your day. Maybe today is your day. Maybe today is the moment that God is finally going to get your attention. And you're going to go, you know what? I know I've been a criminal. Oh, God, have mercy on me. According to your unfailing love and your great compassion, blot out my transgression. Purify me. Maybe today is the day that you make a confession and come clean. Maybe you need to make the confession of faith first. You've been riding the fence and you just have been holding back. You don't want to give it up for God. You don't want to let him have it. And I guarantee you, I can almost describe what's happening inside. It's a mess. Maybe today it's that day that you come and say, Lord, mm, make it right, God. Make it right. Here's a cool thing. Dave's leading worship today. Um, that's cool by itself. Um, and he's he picked a song. Didn't know anything about what I was talking about today. And it's a perfect song. And so I want to do this. As we're singing this song, and maybe you get to that point in the song where you want to stand as a statement of your faith and your confession before God. It actually starts out, I confess. That's the start of the song. And that's you. Maybe you feel comfortable raising your arms to the Lord and say, God, here I am. And by the way, raising your arms isn't some religious fanatical thing. It's just simply a gesture before God that says, I surrender. That's all it is. So let's pray. Let's jump into that song. Let's respond that way. Lord, I thank you today. That Lord, as we enter into this moment, that God, we would respond with faith, a confession of faith and a confession of our sin before you. God, you know us better than we know ourselves. So, Lord, receive what we're offering. In Jesus' name, amen.